there's a great deal to be said for just preparing yourself remotely and proximately for the argument. So remotely is all about character, about your virtues and so forth, and, and proximately is, is about composure. Welcome to another episode of This Catholic Life, conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical, and joyful. Today's show is about arguments, good arguments, bad arguments, the reason for arguments, and perhaps a few tips on how to argue well. I'm your host, Peter Holmes, and today I'm joined by Father Paul Rouse. Welcome, Father. Thank you, Peter. Nice to be with you again. And you, I was going to lead out this episode by saying, is this the right room for an argument? And that might lead us into some quoting of Monty Python. And I'd have to say, no, it's not. <laughs> I told you once. But uh, arguments are something that some people avoid like the plague. Confrontation is an unpleasant thing because we don't argue very well. The examples of arguments we have are arguments in the media, arguments on talk shows and arguments in Parliament, if we're ever so unfortunate as to switch the radio over to the ABC. Oh, you're so mean. Those poor pollies. Well, I've got to confess that I, I listen to them at length whenever I have the opportunity, and it's devastating to my sense of where our country's going, not their policies, the fact that they just aren't conducting a legitimate debate. Yes. Actually not speaking to one another. Yeah. Well, this is it. And I guess talk shows get, you know, their ratings out of conflict. So they like uh, an irrational and emotional conflict on screen and simplified so that people can grasp different things. So the, the subtle debates aren't terribly gripping for the majority of people who don't want to think too hard. Yep. Um, and politicians know that by the time their debate gets reported back, it's going to be in a soundbite. And so they, whenever they appear on our screens, they've got this one soundbite. They just keep repeating it and repeating it and repeating mm. it to make sure it gets on the news. Yes, we, we are typically conflict-averse. Uh, I would think that's probably a good thing in insofar as we don't go looking for a fight, shall we say? We haven't you know, rolled up our sleeves, ready to you know box well, the we've nearest. We've all got that friend, though, Father. We've all got that one friend who goes who are looking you for a fight. With? <laughs> well, me for starters. <laughs> right. 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 I'm yeah. your one friend, there, Father, <laughs> <laughs> who's always is looking it, for a fight. <laughs> is that why you're sitting in a room by yourself? Because you've started. It, it is. It is. <laughs> um, it's got nothing to do with yeah. Lockdowns just disguised the situation. No. Um, in terms of, I don't mind a good discussion, but coming across a good discussion is actually the problem. I, I do tend to avoid arguments where it's clear that it's unlikely to be a rational argument yes. when it's going to get feisty or hurtful or personal. Um, so perhaps we could start by listing what isn't a good argument. Yes, okay. Well, there's a careful balance to be preserved, isn't there? On the one hand, you can have an, a bad argument which is only reason and evidence. And on the other side, you can have an argument which is all emotion and no reason or evidence. Indeed. Uh, what, what, is it Chesterton who says that the madman is the person who's lost everything except his reason? Yes. <laughs> yes. In other so, words, if they're, if they're purely unaffected by any other kind of empathy or understanding, then, then pure reason can be, in fact, insanity. Right. So we have to bring our most sympathetic way of listening to someone. Uh, actually listening is very difficult to do. You know, active listening can be quite tricky. Uh, Especially when we're invested in the topic. So much. 
so much because what you're seeing is not often everything that's being discussed. Almost always, in fact, we, we yeah. the first thing we need to uh, understand is that this isn't the first conversation that you or the other person has ever had about this topic. This is an ongoing discussion they're having in their entire life. Your discussion's been happening all your entire life, and these two just happen to have met in this room at this point, and we're throwing all of that at each other at once, and it takes a, a great deal of skill and a, a lot of patience and love to do it in a good way. Exactly. Gosh. And, and when you disengage as well, you, you have to come away better for having had the argument. Yes. So it, even, shall we say, starting down the path of having an argument or having a discussion where you disagree, to put mm. a distinction there, uh, takes a, a great skill. You've got to work out whether it's important or not. Yeah. So, but unfortunately, I'd have to say, um, we still need to have the arguments. Now, unfortunate yes. in the sense that most of us prefer not to. I mean, the whole Australian thing of not talking about religion or politics uh, at a barbecue. My favourite topics. Indeed. <laughs> but it's, it's absurd, I think. And, in fact, it, we are impoverished by the fact that we haven't learned the skills of debating or discussing important topics. I, I, I confess that I'm a bad small talker. So I get to a barbecue and, and I, I can only do the weather for so long. I can only <laughs> talk about football for so long before I just cannot go on yes. but if you if you start me on something that actually matters um and unfortunately in in covid we're very fortunate that the topics have been a bit more meaty we have things that matter life and death situations effects on yes. people's livelihood politics uh, religion all kinds of things are going on we're not very good at it though i don't think i think we've we've allowed our emotions about our own situations or perhaps those we love uh, to override our concern for listening to the other person. Yes. Is this the flip side of being effectively a tolerant society or a secular society that we uh, agree to differ and so don't engage? Mm. So we might agree to differ. We might be very tolerant. We might, might you know, recognise that there are, for example, other Christian denominations than Catholic, but not really engage with our worthy opponents on what is true. We just allow them to be. And part of yeah. that for Catholics would be our, our long convict history, especially where you, you don't raise the issue because you are going to lose against the establishment. Mm, they'll put you in jail or something. Or just make it very unpleasant. You know, we, they, uh, there's a, a priest of ours who says that he, he remembers uh, signs in the shop fronts, Catholics need not apply. We're yes. not, not so far off those times. They're in living memory. They are. Uh, so prejudice is there, and that prejudice may have fueled our reluctance to have a good argument. It's possible. Uh, mm. It's also possible that we've gotten to the point where disagreeing with certain positions in public can get you censured so severely in friendships and even in workplaces that people just don't even open those topics anymore. Uh, if, if I open a conversation, for example, I'm in my my research is in masculinity, so if I open a conversation about sexuality in any forum, it's very, very likely there'll be at least one letter to my boss demanding some kind of repercussions over me daring to speak. Or something. Yes, yes right. or something. Well, not. I don't think I've, I've suggested that particular torture, but <laughs> there's, there's certainly many, many others um, that have been suggested over the years. And it's an unpleasant situation, but, and it has to be said, if there's nothing to be gained by entering into the discussion, I'll often back off and just simply not be interested in going there. Right. 
And I remember a dear friend of mine once said, you must, whenever you open your mouth, you must speak the truth, but you have to carefully consider whether the person is capable of hearing it. Absolutely. So you need to know your interlocutor very well, I would think, or well enough to gauge whether you're going to make much of a difference to them. Mm. Um, so that there's that whole problem perhaps of starting down the path of pursuing truth without actually ever being able to arrive at it and ending up frustrated on either side because of it. And there's a danger amongst, um, notice amongst young Catholics as well, and other young people, that they believe that being right about something or the fact that they believe they're right about something to be an excuse for being rude to people. Oh, yes. That's terrible, so, isn't it? So because I'm right about uh, abortion or about um, uh, moral issues of some kind or maybe my political party, I it doesn't matter that I'm rude because it's true and the truth must be spoken. Well, the truth is, in fact, a very important uh moral issue but it's not the only one and the treatment of someone's the whole truth must be spoken and part of the truth is the other person's dignity and the other person you know it's their autonomy and their free will and all kinds of things yes and, and the person that you're talking to isn't an enemy they're merely an opponent and that person who has that erroneous opinion or that that error of fact about them you know say you mentioned abortion proponents etc that person still has to change their opinion on on the matter they still have to come to a position of accepting the church's teaching on the yes. dignity of every human life from conception to natural death so you you can't engage that person being a buffhead you have to engage them as if they are going to change their minds in front of you yes uh, now so, that, that requires a great deal of humility and gentleness i think yeah I'm pretty sure it was Thomas Aquinas who said that it's more wicked to argue poorly for the truth than well for a lie. Mm, that's beautiful. Uh, in that if you argue poorly for the truth, uh, he meant, I think, using poor arguments, but I would say with poor method as well. Correct. If you argue poorly for the truth, you, you leave people wondering if it's a, a true at all. In fact, because if they hear a poor argument, they think, well, that's a poor argument. That doesn't convince me at all. And therefore, I'm not enticed at all to the truth. And it leaves them more disposed to dismiss the truth. As if yes, it's or, not. Or, or if you've over-argued your point, you know, you're berating the person, basically, you become unattractive. And remember at that point that you are speaking on behalf of the position that you hold. So although you are not the Catholic Church when you're engaging someone who's anti-life, uh, at that point, at least as far as the person you're speaking to is concerned, you are. Well, so, this is why God holds Israel to account so harshly in the Old Testament is not yeah. so much that he expects them to be wonderful human beings, but because they bear his name, because they have been charged with the responsibility of carrying the name of the Lord, and therefore whatever they do and however they say it and however they treat people, that's how people regard God and constantly saves them for the sake of his name. And it, we bear the name of God. Whether or not we state it openly in an argument, people know where we come from, people know what the position we're arguing for is, and we're representing that position. And it's very difficult to convince people that we stand for love and um, beauty and truth when we're, we're actively being unloving and ugly in our pursuit of the truth. Right, right. So th there's a great deal to be said for just 
preparing yourself remotely and proximately for the argument. So remotely is all about character, about your virtues and so forth, and, and proximately is, is about composure. Right. Uh, you, you might be hot under the collar, but you need to be more like a duck. You need to have ferociously <laughs> like swimming legs. We're back to Monty Python again. Are we? <laughs> a duck. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not so far off the dead parrot sketch, which I haven't seen, by the way. But anyway, the, I'm oh, told really? it's legendary. The um, coming back to the arguments uh, side of things, one of the things we can do is encourage people to dismiss us out of hand. Um, I keep saying to friends, your, your cause may be just, but you shouldn't give other people a reason, an excuse to dismiss the entire thing out of hand. And we've seen this with the cancel culture that as soon as somebody utters a particular catchphrase or perhaps seems to condemn someone who's vulnerable, they, the whole bet, all bets are off. They just simply won't get a platform anymore. There's no hope of convincing their opponents anymore. Often, for example, um, I, I know a couple of politicians who are actually decent enough people themselves, and when they're in a room by themselves, they're quite rational. But if they utter a slogan which happens to you know pick on um a vulnerable group or even sound like it is, then nobody ever takes them seriously again uh, because they've been cancelled. And we see it with, you know, speakers all over the world too. Yes, this, this happens all the time on university campuses. You know, the, the, uh, the, the project at the moment of, the, of a certain kind of uh, anti-Catholic opponent is to uh, basically make it difficult for Catholics to do anything on campus, book a room, for example, for a meeting. Uh, th th this kind of opposition is not helpful because there's no actual argumentation going on uh, mm -hmm. that they've decided, our opponents have decided not to engage, which seems to them to be far more productive. Right. But it creates these silos of, in of inaction and uh, poor argument. It does. Um, I have to say that uh, a number of times in a number of friendships, I've forfeited a chance to convince them of anything because I succumbed to the temptation to be narky back at them. So they've had a shot at me, they've had a personal go at me, and I've had a personal shot back. And suddenly the argument is no longer about the truth. It's about a, a kind of a tit for tat score point scoring exercise. Mm. And it is a very great temptation when you you're hurt yourself to lash back. Um, but it's not. It doesn't win the person. You, we've got to keep in mind the end game here is yeah. to change someone's hearts and mind. Correct. And, and you can do that in your own. Just reminding yourself quietly while you're in that moment that you are not your opinion. That you merely have the opinion. So you're you're conveying something to someone else from within who you are. That can change depending on you know, evidence and so forth, but the most important thing is you yourself and your character at that point. Even, therefore, if you can't express the truth adequately enough to someone who is an opponent, that you still come across as good, beautiful yes. on the inside. These things actually count for a great deal, even if they the do. truth is inadequately expressed. Well, because, because it's, uh, it doesn't leave your opponent with the opportunity of dismissing you because you're a nasty person. Right. Because as soon as you, there's any kind of nastiness involved, the, the drawbridge goes back up, um, they retreat back into their castle, and that's over. The, the debate is over. They're just going to go for all the reasons why you're wrong. Uh, if you have maintained a genuine respect and love for them, 
then it's it's impossible for them to to simply dismiss your arguments as nasty or some way oppositional. They have to deal with the arguments themselves. Uh, even if we don't present our own position, if we listen carefully to their position and ask intelligent questions about it without being pejorative, we can actually encourage them to rethink their own position, which I'm not convinced very many people have, in fact, thought thought about their own position on things. So encouraging them to think about their own position is a very strong um, uh, thing to do. That's right. And so you, you might only be uh, watering the ground for the very first time on a particular issue. So you, you might be an instrument of God at that point. You might be. Uh, mm. God might have put you in that position so that they, you can be simply the catalyst for a later thought pattern which will happen in that person's mind. We also uh, have it, this delusion that they're going to change their mind in this conversation. Oh, know? exactly. <laughs> yes. That, that happens so rarely, very, very rarely. As a priest, I'm usually encountering people who have already changed their mind. Right. Uh, if you're on the forefront of an argument, yes, okay, maybe you are meeting people who have yet to do so, but someone yeah. who is in formation for the faith or for the seminary or what have you, they're usually people who have already come to a position of acceptance of what is going to be said. So I've, I've been invited many, many times to come and um, be involved in debates um, versus Baptist ministers or, you know, there are other Protestants, etc. and I've refused on most occasions because I've never met anybody who's been to any of these debates and changed their mind. Mm -hmm. um, I just don't, I think it's a, it's a confirmation bias thing. Uh, I'm not saying they're worthless. I think it's a very good thing and apologetics are necessary, but I don't think that public debates end up rattling any cages uh, on the spot. I think that a gentle, uh, firm uh, presentation in a loving and good way has a chance of enticing people once they're opened enough to the truth. It's a good point. I, I haven't thought about the wickedness of public debates like that, you know, exhibition debates, shall we say, rather than, you know, public discourse. Yeah. Um, they just seem to entrench a position, don't they? I've, I've yeah. not seen anybody turn as a result of having you know, been to the euthanasia right. debate. Yeah, I mean, it's it, the discussion I normally hear after such things is how well did our guy go? Yes. You know, so it's about yes. it's about us actually um, seeing it as a performance, almost like a uh, gladiator's performance or something. I remember some years ago, uh, Cardinal Pell and Professor Dawkins went on uh, an ABC program some years ago, and yes. uh, I remember afterwards meeting both an atheist and some Catholics, who each thought that their side won. Yes, our our guy outdid their guy, or their guy outdid did our guy. Uh, but you're quite right about the, the uh, champions thing, just not enough bloodletting for it to be decisive. This delusion we have that uh, people are going to change their minds after this conversation or we desperately want them to change their minds doesn't take into effect the nature of our, our, our human life. Uh, and a very wise old Anglican once told me, um, an inch is a cinch and a yard is very hard. So moving people just a little, just edge, getting them to consider just a little more, just a little more, and over time understanding things is much, much more likely to succeed uh, than a sudden change of events. We've, we've all heard about someone who suddenly changes their mind, but in every time I've looked into those circumstances, there was always seeds sown. There were things with the background. There were examples that they had in the back of their mind they didn't really hadn't really thought about until the moment of crisis. It, it very rarely is isolated from human experience. 
and we can't be attracted to something we haven't found attractive in the first place. St Thomas Aquinas says to us that if we're going to have an argument with someone, we need to do three things almost simultaneously. He says that we should seldom affirm, never deny, and always distinguish. That seldom is, affirm, never deny, always distinguish. Correct, correct. So seldom affirm just means that you don't say yes to everything that they've said. You can agree with some of what they said, uh, but never just outright agree with everything because there's often a logical sequence. So you, you accept what is true about the thing that you've heard, but make sure that everything else you don't agree with. Never right. deny means you don't shut someone down. So you, you don't say you're absolutely wrong because there is a grain of truth about what someone says because we are inherently attracted to truth. So even, dare I say, the uh, pro-abortionists are still wanting to care for single mothers. Now, that they care in the wrong way, in a way which is destructive of life, but we can say a great deal to them in the heat of the moment about care for women in vulnerable situations. Yes. And then always distinguish. That is, someone says to you something which is, uh, doesn't sound to be true, you can always say, I agree with this part and I distinguish along these lines. I, I say something different on these other parts of your argument. Uh, those three things probably keep the conversation going. I have to say that I've heard that from Dominicans consistently. <laughs> Good. Uh, that, that as not that particular quote, but I've heard that style exercised because I, I hear from your own mouth and from, from Bishop Fisher and other Dominicans that I know, um, well, it's certainly true that... And then, <laughs> and the, but I, we, we need to be careful about this. <laughs> yes, it's not just a filler. It really is making a distinction. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> but, I mean, agreeing with people, especially in what the good thing that they are motivated to seek is, is a very important thing. Acknowledging that their motives are, in fact, good, yes. in, at least in part, Um uh, there is are very few truly part. malicious people, aren't there? That's very right. Few. Well, Augustine, uh, sorry to get out of Dominican territory, but Augustine said this about well, evil. He sort he of said, does. Yeah. <laughs> he said, um, make it make it any good, take any good idea and make it conform to Dominic. Yeah. Augustine said that nobody wakes up and says, "I want to be evil today." Everyone wakes up and wants to seek a good, and evil is only when they seek a good at the expense of another good. Um, hmm that when they're prepared to sacrifice something good in order to gain a good. Uh, and it is still evil because it destroys a good in, in, in or damages a good in there. But um, we acknowledging someone's motives are good is a good way to start the discussion. It's going to be an interesting one, Father, because I have um, some discussions with uh, ecumenical groups over scripture coming up and oh, it'll be an interesting you. practice for, the, for this particular methodology. But can we, we agree? Listening carefully. We shall examine your success. <laughs> uh, the um, we, what we probably should agree on in this discussion, at least, is that the purpose of our arguments is always to reach the truth, but also reach it with the other person at our side. That's probably enough for this week's podcast. If today's discussion got you thinking or arguing, and we hope it did, get in touch with us. Tell us what you think on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Discord. Give us a review. Remember, this is a uniquely Australian Catholic podcast, and we think that's an idea worth getting behind. So tell your friends, argue about it. But we'll be back next week. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to This Catholic Life.